0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. My suffering didn't make sense unless I did something about it. Otherwise, I don't think I would have been able to kind of endure what I've endured.
1: From Offscript Media, I am Matthew Zachary, and this is Out of Patience. You know, across the years of running Stupid Cancer, I can't tell you how many times I was approached by other young adult chronic disease communities asking if we'd franchise the brand. You know, like stupid lupus, stupid fibros, stupid MS, stupid type 1. You get the point. We all need a community of our peers who, as we say, get it because they already got it. Ha ha. A community where no one judges you and there's no stigma. So while there may not be a stupid endometriosis, Melissa Boudreau is about as close as it gets with her podcast, The Cycle, and she joins me here today for a one-on-one breakdown on what is endometriosis. Melissa was a C-suite marketing professional whose life was turned upside down, interrupted to say the least with misdiagnosis after misdiagnosis, sound familiar, cancer people, and an ever increasing sense of isolation and fear that forever changed her formidable years. No one ever asks to become an expert on a disease they didn't plan to have, but for Melissa, she is a genuine voice for the 1 in 10 women worldwide who have endometriosis. Her work with the Endometriosis Foundation of America, coupled with her increasingly popular podcast and a desire to raise awareness and make noise, have positioned her as a leading voice in the dark for millions of women enduring this invisible disease. Enjoy the show. Melissa Bedreau, thank you so much for coming on Out of patience, It's been a long time coming, but not really because we kind of just met. But I think we kind of struck a BFF right out of the gate because we kind of have nothing but only things in common.
0: Total BFFs. I'm so excited to be here.
1: So you are the me of endometriosis, says me. And what I mean by that is you are like, if there were a stupid endometriosis, you kind of embody that. And I really connected over this idea that, you know, uh, all things being equalized, it sucks to have anything bad when you're not 80.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I'm humbled and honored to think that I'm the the you of endometriosis. Very flattering. Or or
1: just tell me you're not. I there could be others. I'm just, I'm (laughs) suppositioning here.
0: There, there's, there, there's, probably, there's a lot of advocates out there, but I, I like to um, try and keep it light, light and lean.
1: Well, yeah, and just for the listeners' sake, Melissa and I chatted last week and got acquainted through lots of mutual friends, and we're also podcasters and advocates. But I want to start with one really critical lesson for those who precede us in the millennial and Gen Z markets. How important is it to work retail?
0: It's so, it's literally the most important thing you can do. It teaches you everything you need to know about life. Everything.
1: Right out of the gate, you work retail.
0: Yeah, right out of the gate. So, I mean, I worked a couple other, I had an office job where it was like, I was in my young twenties and I remember like taking naps like under my desk. Like I was not ready for that because I I was still going out and having fun. And then I was like, I really just want to do something I enjoy. And so right out of the gate, I was like, I love being outdoors. I love rock climbing. I love doing all of these things. And I ended up working at a company called Moose Jaw and thought I would work there for like a summer so I could get a discount on a bunch of cool stuff. And uh, yeah, 13 years later, I left.
1: I worked retail for uh, like maybe a week. And then I got a job as a busboy. I don't know if that's an upgrade or a downgrade. Busboy is Kind of not quite retail, but it's definitely customer service in the worst sense when they just throw their empty water glass at your head.
0: For sure. I bet you had some empty water glasses thrown at your head multiple times.
1: No one actually knows what goes on behind the doors of the kitchen, unless you're a busboy. You see everything. You know, the sausage is made, but then there's stuff that makes the stuff that makes the sausage. Busboys are the windows into the soul of restaurants.
0: They know everything. They would be good ones to talk to about which restaurants you should and shouldn't go to.
1: Right. So the spit in my sandwich at the mini mall in the, in the mall in the 80s, <laughs> high school student friend of mine versus the, did you spit in my heart or glass? Because I didn't give you a good tip and I was rude to the waitress uh, guy that was me. I didn't spit in the cup. But the value of having that customer service tolerance at an early age is so important. I just wanted to get that out to the listeners because we share that.
0: Yeah, I, I, I literally couldn't agree more. I uh, swear I learned just how to be empathetic and gracious and really just take every swing that was coming at me through working in retail and patience. Hence, yes. Well, you know, one of the things, <laughs> you know, not to be tongue in cheek, but really it, it's a huge lesson in how to not freak out.
1: No, and I, I hear you and t- tongue in cheek and I see what you're saying and everything that we're talking about. So quick diversion to mentions of all the parents with teen kids out there, please do to them what my dad did to me, which is said, get a fucking job. And that was it. I got a job. Retail. Yeah. Bus boy. Yeah. That's it. It's got to work.
0: Movie theater something. Yeah. Oh, my get, God. Get out there. A deli.
1: Yeah. I think amongst all my high school friends, we either worked at like KB Toy and Hobby or the United Artists Movie Theater, or Kmart. And I think some of them worked at a couple of the random diners around Staten Island where I grew up. So yes, we need that level of comeuppance to come back.
0: I mean, the fact that you mentioned Kmart, you know, that's from Detroit and I'm from Detroit. So, you know, you're speaking my language.
1: You know, I never heard of Moose Jaw, but then I realized I'd never heard of Kroger's because I'm also like from the East Coast and we're sheltered with like Pathmark. And then like, that must be a Dick Sporting Goods of Michigan, right?
0: Yeah, kind of. And it has a huge e-commerce. Like I would say online is, is one of the biggest areas that people shop. So have you ever to like backcountry or, you know, REI, very similar to those online.
1: Got it. Understood. So you went to Michigan, you studied actually what you're kind of doing, which I think is rare and unique and <laughs> should be acknowledged. You have a BA in business administration, a master's in PR in advertising. You know, I think retail was kind of like forced upon you, but you, you already kind of knew it was necessary
0: yeah i i mean i like i said i did it because i wanted the discount end up falling in love with the company because they were so marketing focused and fun and cool and hip and one thing i have to correct you i went to michigan state that's a big oh my competitive thing here yeah that's my, let's not my mis- elite I've,
1: my coastal yeah. elite ignorance is preceding myself <laughs>
0: Yes, please don't make that mistake. My goodness. Is that
1: the blue one or the not blue one?
0: It's the green one. Okay. It's the green one. Yeah, we're the green one. But yeah, so yeah, I I honestly, I was working in retail, started working in marketing and decided to go back for my master's to learn more about that trade because I fell in love with it.
1: I love to do this because it really sets the stage on like when just when you think, Things are set straight ahead. You're getting your bearings. You're growing up. You're doing your 20s. And then shit happens you didn't ask for. So let's start to talk about where all the things you didn't plan for began to become your plan.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, chronic illness definitely started to creep in. So when I was younger and for people who don't know, like endometriosis affects you around your cycle. And when I was younger and in high school, I would be sick and have pain, but just thought it was normal never talked to anybody about it. And so just ignored it and just, you know, went on with my life like everybody else and would have a couple bad days a month and was like, eh, whatever, everything's fine. Because I thought it was. Then I'm in my mid twenties, working retail, hustling, like a general manager of stores, moving around, doing all my thing, loving life, just enjoying things. And I start to get just really sick. Like my friends are going out to the bars. I'm like, maybe I've been going out too much. You know, maybe it's something like I need to chill out for a little bit. But then I got to this point where I was, I didn't notice, but I was only eating crackers and broth for like weeks and I was getting skinny. And then I passed out one day at work and I was like, all right, something's wrong. Like I gotta go figure out what's wrong with me. Totally thought I like an ulcer or a GI issue. Went to, had every GI test under the sun, which is not fun as I'm sure a lot of people listening already know. And they, they were like, nah, you got IBS. And I was just like, I don't think I have IBS. My intuition knew, but I was like, okay. In my teens, in my twenties, you know, I knew like I didn't feel well, but I, again, I did think I was invincible. I was going out. I was having fun. I was ignoring any of the symptoms that I may have had. Just pretend, you know, when you're that age, you do think you're invincible.
1: But that's normal. Honestly, like, I I had to learn you know, they say, like, I was today years old when I learned this, like, like 10 years ago, I was that day years old. When like the gene of invincibility is really a gene, you are born and raised to be a hunter gatherer. And whatever your Cro-Magnon instincts are, you don't start to get a sense of like, oh, my God, there's consequences until you're 24. So your entire (laughs) teens and college like, I went through that, too. Like, "Hmm, my life can doesn't work. I wonder what it is. Oh, well, I'll just play piano this way. Like, that's you yeah. can't fault us for feeling that way.
0: No, 100%. And when you're that, right, you, when you're that age, you are not thinking anything else, but you can do whatever you want, anytime you want, anytime a day.
1: So my question to you is, were you relieved when you were finally diagnosed with what it actually was? Or was it not that simple?
0: I was. I, I actually diagnosed myself because of the lack of awareness. I literally Googled IBS and found out that I, I had endometriosis. I mean, based on the symptoms, I diagnosed myself. Then when I actually found out, I was relieved, but I didn't know what it meant.
1: Oh, so for this human you're speaking to that does not have a uterus or any woman parts, <laughs> what is the yes. one-on-one of endometriosis?
0: Okay, so there's not a lot known still about it. So there's just theories. Nothing has been proven exactly as to what it is, but it is defined as endometrial-like tissue. So tissue that is similar to the tissue that's inside the uterus grows outside of the uterus causes lots of pain so it's these like lesions and then those lesions form like almost like a Laffy Taffy type tissue and it sticks all your organs together and causes all sorts of issues so it's not just like a menstruation issue you can have pain seven days a week every single day of the month and then as it progresses it causes a lot of it can cause a lot of issues so for me it did attack my bowel I didn't know and I had to have a bowel resection
1: well, you had me a Laffy Taffy until Bauer section. So now I'm on yeah. Bauer section. Right?
0: Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I had it's, to just stick that one in there. Oh
1: my God, you got to stick the landing. But well, you did a good job. <laughs> so honestly, like, all right. So now I'm traumatized learning what this yeah. is. Oh my God. That's crazy. But is yeah. this par for the course? Is this what becomes the normal expectation of when women are afflicted by this?
0: You know, this is the problem. There's so little awareness and research on it that a lot isn't known. So there's different stages. I happen to have stage four, but the stages don't even really mean the level of pain. I think it's just the amount of disease. So as of right now, we don't know why we get it. There's no cure for it. There's no, there's just a lack of awareness. So my case could be totally different than somebody else's case. And I haven't found two people that have had the same symptoms the same issues from it so that makes it even harder to figure out if you have
1: is there any sense there must be some data on how many women are impacted by this every year personally
0: yeah so there what we know is it's 1 in 10 wow so it is a you know 200 million worldwide is what we know at least based on actual diagnosis but there's so many people that you know they think they have IBS or they think they have these kind of other issues And so they never get diagnosed, unfortunately.
1: Is there a like a float chart of it could be this? No, it could be this. No, it sounds like you and I waded through the waters of what the hell's wrong with us and you found it on your own. I had to get a scan for them to find something in my head. Has anything changed since you had to self-diagnose yourself?
0: I do think the awareness is a lot better, right? So it's been almost 20 years since I self-diagnosed myself. So I think that there is more awareness, but I talk to 20 year old young ladies still now, and they're being told by their doctor the same thing I was told 20 years ago. So really the issue is also just the doctors aren't educated enough on it and still treat this like it's normal.
1: Is this a gyn
0: issue or yes. is this like
1: a ENT issue or some kind all, of
0: all like you go? It's a gyn, but if you go to the ER, you know it's dismissed. And people, you know, people have had cyst ruptures. So part of this disease is you can get cysts within your ovaries or outside of your ovaries, and they rupture, and that's also very dangerous. But when people go to the ER, they're they, the doctors don't know. There's just it's such a gross lack of awareness but you ask me i think it is better it's just it's still not there
1: back with our guest after the break
0: ah <sighs>
1: So I was once told that I started be cancer born of my condition. Never heard it phrased that way, but it kind of was like the thing I wished I had that I didn't have, but had the opportunity to create. You know, there is no rhetorical stupid endometriosis, as we said before, but you took it upon yourself to become a voice, the accidental advocate, per se, right? So you got involved with the Endometriosis Foundation of America. I didn't know there was one. Why would I? But what, is, what was it like to find that? Have they been helpful? You you help raise money for them.
0: It was serendipitous. I there aren't that many organizations. I was just like, I wanna every March is endo month, I was like, I wanna do something. I feel like I need this is like a purpose I need to give back from all my suffering. Otherwise, as I'm sure you know, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this, like my suffering didn't make sense unless I did something about it. Otherwise, I don't think I would have been able to kind of endure what I've endured. So I found them, started fundraising for them, randomly went saw something on Instagram that they were hosting this patient day in New York, was like, you know what, I got miles, fly out there. And it has been a game changer meeting them and finding out, you know, just the lack of awareness. I I knew about the lack of awareness, but research and how difficult things are. So it's been very, very helpful. And, you know, in the back of my mind, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this too. I was always like, I'm going to start a nonprofit to help gain access to surgery, because right now surgery is the only gold standard to help people with the condition. And there's a lack of access to that. And so I was like, I'm going to start a nonprofit and then talk to someone who did and was like, "Mm, don't do that. It's just so hard to do.
1: Yeah, I probably have an unlimited number of pieces of content out there about don't start a charity. Unless you re- – it's kind of clickbaity because like, yeah, sure, why not? And then you have the conversation on just because you could doesn't mean you should or just because you should doesn't mean you could. But to the extent that there are still open wound gaps in the marketplace of support, there are needs and there are ways to make it successful if it's done right. My question to you, again, having just only been exposed to you know, EFA, what have they been doing? if you were to audit, like, are we still in a place where there's just been no progress? And if there's still this desperate need to get surgery covered, where are the insurance gaps? Is it a policy issue? Are there lobby shops? What's the space now look like where we can all say, in five years, this should happen?
0: All of the above, everything that you just mentioned is still an open issue. They are working very hard to try and get at least like in a congressional level, getting support, you know, from the NIH. I mean, that's not even happening. The dollar, the funding isn't even there. So that's like a huge first step. And then the next step is getting it recognized with the insurance companies and what the actual treatment is. So, you know, right now there's all these, you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to do this before you can even get a surgery. And, you know, insurance companies are approving, A version of the surgery that doesn't really actually help the patients. But because of, you know, funding and money and all that, a lot of patients are having what's called an ablation surgery, which actually isn't, hasn't been proven to be very effective in helping. So the foundation works on all of those things, but mainly also research because so much is not known about the disease. So if we can figure out what are the biomarkers, is there a way to diagnose it without having surgery? A lot of those steps as well. And then getting access to patients.
1: Right. Because this isn't like, oh, get a pap smear. It's completely different.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's completely different.
1: So as far as like peer-to-peer, you know, like meeting mm-hmm. someone like you who went through this, my whole shtick about advocacy is making something suck less for the next me. What could that possibly look like when you connect with that next young 20-something with early symptoms?
0: Uh, telling them that they're they're not alone and telling them that their pain isn't normal. That is what I scream from the the treetops. So like if you know someone who has painful periods at a young age, pay, like you're missing school, you can't get out of bed. That is not normal. That is the first thing. And there's a huge stigma for years and years and years that that is normal, but it's not. So if early diagnosis can happen and seeing a doctor who actually understands the disease, then they may not go on for 20 years of suffering or not being diagnosed. You know, the average diagnosis right now is 7 to 10 years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's, I mean, that if you could get diagnosed at 20, have the proper surgery, there is potential that you could go on and be and be like, oh, yeah, I had that. And then almost forget about it. You know, Yeah,
1: genomics and predictive medicine haven't even begun to think about this type of body part yet.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's definitely it's just it's not at the forefront and i'm not like a you know raw, raw women's like lib i mean obviously i am a female but i do think that women's healthcare isn't at the same doesn't get recognized the same as maybe community or diseases that affect both both sides
1: well i see parallels here not just to the young adult cancer movement we had discussed this on our call last week this is basically some kind of um it stagnates your ability to become a productive member of society. And it's an economic burden to our country when you can't buy things and go out and have kids and hold down a job when a chronic disease gets in the way of your productivity. That was what framed the entire narrative around young adult cancer. Not just that we got it more, we died more, we suffered more, but like by improving our abilities to live with through and hopefully beyond it, It helps the economy. (laughs) It helps us have more kids, keep our jobs, be less stigmatized. I can't help but want to just proffer out extemporaneously that this is a women's health, women's rights issue as much as breast cancer in the analogous nature.
0: Yes, I 100 percent agree with you. And I want to go back to like being an advocate or like for you. Why did you start to advocate? I'm sure you've talked about this before, but I'm really curious Like, did you feel like a sense of you needed to like I did?
1: I never knew it was possible that I could do something that made shit suck less. For someone yeah. like me. It wasn't until I had that gestalt moment. I mean, I've told this a million times, but I spent seven years alone. I thought I was the only kid with cancer in his 20s. And then I met this one guy who was like this, uh, you pull a thread on the sweater and the whole thing unravels. And behind the Wizard of Oz curtain were like 50 me's. I'm like, where the hell have you people been? So, <laughs> so, like, like, yeah. so like I had this whole gestalt between 04 and 06. And that's when I realized I could just figure out a way to make young adult cancer a national narrative at the Mm -hmm. marketing level and Mm -hmm. stupid cancer was nothing more than a great brand that attracted Gen Xers to give a shit about Gen Xers. Uh, But prior to that, I did not know what I could do, but it wasn't until that moment I realized I could do something. And to your credit, yes, thank you for not starting a nonprofit, but you did start a podcast that I've been listening to. And I've been really been turned on it called the cycle podcast, very apropos. And in the interest of doing something that you need to get done because it needs to get done. And if you didn't do it, no one would. One of the quotes, if you read reviews, you're not supposed to read your reviews, but I did. I'm going to read this verbatim. I was diagnosed with endometriosis on Saturday and finished episode nine by Wednesday. It changed my life. How does that make you feel?
0: Uh, I mean, it makes, I like tear up just hearing that because that means that I've taken my suffering and turned it into helping someone else.
1: So what's it been like to become a podcast host?
0: Um, I have no idea what I'm doing, let's just be honest. Every day when I'm doing a podcast host, but you it I love it. I enjoy it. I just love talking to people and meeting people and then hearing feedback from others just saying thank you so much for doing this. And it's been very rewarding.
1: You know, when I started the Stupid Cancer show, there was no, no such thing as like radio, internet, cancer stuff. So, the entire first three years booked themselves instantly because there was nothing there. How have you found, obviously, reception has been incredible. How do you determine who to book, what the narrative is? Do you have an editorial calendar? Are you you flying by the seat of your pants just because that's the way it needs to be?
0: I fly a little bit by the seat of my pants, but I'm not, I'm a very organized person. So that would really stress me out. So I try to vet every, people come to me and say, I want to be on the show. Or if I find someone that I really would like to have on the show, then I invite them. So, you know, a myriad of people say, I'd like to come on. We do a brief conversation before just to make sure you know, everything's in line and that I feel like it'll be helpful for the audience. And then, then on the show, it's just have a conversation. You know, I, I don't like to edit unless something crazy happens. I like it to just be honest and free flowing and emotional and real.
1: Right. And that's the beauty of, of audio. And we talked about this also, like we've lost the art of radio. We've yeah. lost the art of humanity and intimacy in audio. And today's generation is so used to video and texting and social media that we've forgotten what the hell media is without seven senses in your body going off at the same time to learn something.
0: Yeah, I. but I also think that there is a, there must be a craving for audio because podcasts are so insanely huge right now. I think people are starting to reduce, wanting to reduce the seven senses and they want to go back to you know, a place where they can just listen and observe instead of just being so overwhelmed with a million things dinging on your phone and going crazy.
1: Yeah, and note for the listeners, Melissa and I are fully aware there are only five senses. We're just saying seven because we're being, uh, just trying to make absolute (laughs) ridiculousness of the fact that we're so overwhelmed with crap these days.
0: Yeah, everything's always ding ding well ah you know know. it's just it's a lot and there's nothing like listening to a radio show or a podcast and going for a walk like that is just
1: a walk. it's very a a walk wait wait how do you spell that
0: (laughs) it's a new thing people Ah. are starting to do
1: you know my my daughter's 10 and she's like do they call it ambulance because of ambulatory i'm like you're 10 why why do you know this
0: I, that, that's amazing.
1: Yeah. I don't know what I did right or wrong with my wife, but, you know, <laughs> here she is. And anyway, so going back to what, this walking thing you talk about. Yes, let's remember, if COVID did anything, even the silver lining of COVID is, can we just slow down a bit? We yeah. could still be nervous as fuck and freaked out to the end of days. But it's just nice to – I haven't traveled in a year. And trying to find the bright side, it's been just so nice to not feel the need or the want to have to leave my house. Have you, have, have you felt that same way?
0: I honestly think that it's been like healing for my body to not be on the go 24 seven, which is what I was before March.
1: Yeah. Cause you went from uh moose jaw to, uh, to like the AMC, like, like, uh, movie theaters or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Imagine theaters, it's Midwest company. And yeah, I was their chief marketing officer and, it was an amazing role. You know, I love the movies and I was all over traveling the locations, going to L.A., going to New York. And it was fantastic. But I was on the go 24-7.
1: Right. And because of COVID, that whole industry is shut down.
0: Yes. And I no longer work for that company. That is correct. Yeah. That industry is really, really suffering because of COVID.
1: Absolute horrible consequences. And again, it goes back to, you've got enough to deal with, with your chronic disease, (laughs) like losing your job on top of that. Like this is today's narrative for people our age.
0: Yeah. What I do, silver lining, I want to go into that for COVID is I was laid off and I was like, Oh my gosh, like head spinning. Like I remember it was like a Sunday night. I went running downstairs crying to tell my husband. And then for the following weeks after that, I was like, I'm going to read a book. I'm going to get into a what? meditation. Wait, wait. a what? Yeah. A, What's uh, yeah. that word? A, I know. It's like paper in between like this like harder cover. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to read. I'm going to. And then I started meditating 20 minutes a day. Like I made a to-do list every day. My to-do list was meditate, read a book, go for a walk. And I literally felt like a different human. In in a good way. And obviously, I don't want people suffering and being sick with COVID and people are losing family members. I understand that. But it was such a a step back that I needed to, like, reevaluate how fast I was going.
1: Right. The blessings in disguise. But then you did something remarkable. And again, born of your own condition, you started a nutrition company.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just that. Nothing nothing fancy.
1: (laughs) Just a nutrition company.
0: No big deal. You know, it's... I was relaxing during COVID. So yeah, I I started a couple years ago. I actually started a protein bar called It Fits Bar. And I took a little break from it. I've had two surgeries in the past two years. And so you know, with work and recovery and everything. And just financially, I just, I needed a break. My manufacturing was not working out well. And then we, I was planning to relaunch in the beginning of this year, COVID happened. I lost my job and I was like, I'm not going to do this, blah, blah, blah. And then I randomly got on a show called Tea with Gary Vee. So people who know Gary, who Gary Vaynerchuk is, he's like a marketing guru. I I love him because he says fuck all the time. Hopefully I can say that. Um,
1: you could say that all you want,
0: <laughs> but I love that he's just so real. And I got on the show and he was like, you should still do it. And I was like, all right. And I just, I got motivated and decided I'm going to relaunch this thing. And now I do all my manufacturing and everything in Michigan. So we're a hundred percent local.
1: Right. And again, like this is the bar that suits your desired needs that no one else is making because of the crap you're dealing with.
0: Yeah. So inflammation is a huge part of endometriosis and I'm sure your community understands this too, right? You have to ch- you can't you have to change how you eat, you have to change your lifestyle. So, I stopped eating dairy and gluten. I'm allergic to dairy and was always on the go, like I was talking about, and I needed more protein and I was like, I'm just I can't find one that tastes good or that's not like loaded with crap or loaded with sugar. And so, I just made one. I decided to do it.
1: I love that. And again, we talked about one of the things I want to do on my show is that there's this this wellspring of of young adults who have gone through all sorts of horrible chronic disease, crap cancer, type one diabetes, whatever it is. And they started their own food company of some kind, whether it's this or this or this or this. And you're part of it. This is like there should be an entire like TV show series on the products that were created out of need from people who didn't have something. And this this the it fits bar is exactly that. So congratulations on that. And Thank I got to tell you, like, like this whole thing is, it's like no one asks for the shit happens store to be where you have to shop one day, but what you do with it really becomes sort of like your byproduct. Can you give us just to wrap up a couple of life hacks for the endo community? Like what have you learned the most to make things work in the life hackiest kind of way?
0: I mean, I think the biggest things, like I said, and I know it's like so cliche, but it was starting to meditate really changed my pain, even, you know, daily pain, it helped reduce it. So that is a life hack that I think everyone should no matter what, yeah, if you're the healthiest person in the world, I think it's something that everybody should do. But then also just having gratitude for what you do have. And I know it's so hard when you're sick, and you can't get out of bed and you feel awful. But you have fresh water, you have a roof over your head you know, going back to those basic needs always propelled me to keep going forward because I knew no matter how sick I was, I know how lucky I am too. And I'm alive. I mean, at the end of the day, what am I going to do with this thing? I'm alive. I'm going to just keep pushing forward and, and remembering that like we're alive. We might be really sick, but we're here. So what can we do with that time?
1: Famous last words. No, I'm totally kidding. Not famous last words. <laughs> famous first words, I've heard, actually, being used for that case. How do we make the most of the time that has been given to us? There you go. Yeah, I remembered it.
0: Beautiful. And it's true. It's true.
1: Well, Melissa Boudreaux, host of the Cycle Podcast. I highly recommend it. We put a link in the episode description Founder and CEO of the It Fits Bar, also available online. We'll send that link out as well. And uh, I love the fact that you are working in philanthropy with the Endometriosis Foundation of America. Kudos to you. Wonder Twin Powers Activate. Let's go break some more shit.
0: Let's do it. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for everything that you do, too. I'm so glad we're connected.
1: That's all for today, folks. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is a product of Offscript Media. Our executive producer is Matthew Zachary. Our senior producers are Jen Horanjeff and Andrew McDowell. Darren Tun is our production intern. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Matthew Zachary. Our theme music is by the Mike Van Allen Quintet and by Mara. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments, feedback, and make guest recommendations. For more information, visit
0: offscript.com.